Welcome to Life Church today. I'm Aaron Cole. It's great to see you. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. Matthew, chapter 24. I'm going to get there in just a minute. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen. But it's great to see you. And uh, I was gone last weekend for Thanksgiving. Did everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah. Good Thanksgiving? Good, 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 good. Well, I usually have a great Thanksgiving, uh, and, uh, but this year was a little different for me. Uh, we, uh, we traveled to, uh, to Springfield, Missouri, where my uh, wife's family's from, and so we, we got to go be with them, which is a great time. And uh, I have, like, if you know me at all, everything's around food in my world. So, I mean, I travel like this. is I'm going to this restaurant, this restaurant. So, so we arrive in Springfield, and we immediately go to um, a Chinese restaurant, which is kind of, there's a funny story even along the way as we're going. Um, we're passing by Kickapoo High School, which is where Brad Pitt went to high school, and I'm telling my 14-year-old and my 11-year-old, hey, do you know who, what famous purpose, person went to the high school, Kickapoo High School? And then I realized they have no clue who Brad Pitt is. Like, it doesn't exist in their world. And so, and so I said, it's Brad Pitt. And Ava goes, yeah, that's my youngest. Yeah, isn't he a country singer? I said, no, that's Brad Paisley, totally different person. So if it's not like Justin Bieber or somebody like that, they don't know who it is. But anyhow, uh, and so we go to our Chinese restaurant, and I just like hossed out on sweet and sour chicken, cashew chicken, crab ragoons. Come on, take me back. I'm telling you, I was just going to town. And I get, I'll never be back at this restaurant again. I get a fortune. You want to see my fortune? This is the night before Thanksgiving. And all through the house, not a creature we're stirring, not even a mouse. Work on improving your exercise routine. <laughs> it's like I shave my legs for this. So anyhow, I get up the next morning, or should I say I crawled up the next morning because I had that 24-hour bug. Anybody else dealing with that? It's going around. It's only 24 hours. That's painful. Thanksgiving. That was my Thanksgiving. I had chicken broth for Thanksgiving. I'm about to waste away, people. I mean, y'all need to pray for me. I'm telling you, every day since that day, it was only 24 hours. Every day, I've been trying to gain weight, put it back on, keep up. So, you know what I know? Christmas will be better. <laughs> I'm going to make up for Thanksgiving. I was telling somebody, you start on Thanksgiving and you don't stop until like the first. Hey, for me, I wait to like the national championship for college football because that's like the eighth. <laughs> that's like almost like seven weeks of nonstop food. Don't be a hater. I'm just telling you what I do. Well, we're, we're in a, this two-week series on the, um, basically the end of time. And, uh, and so I'm going to talk this weekend specifically about what are the signs of the time. And we asked questions from you last week, and so you wrote those on the communication cards, and we took those. And I'm going to answer most of those this weekend. And then next week, I'm going to talk more about the, how the Bible says the actual, according to Scripture, the, how the events will unfold. And so specifically what will happen in the sequential parts of the events. And so I invite you to be back. I invite you to, to bring friends. Uh, if, if they're really far away from God, this may really be a big, huge step for them. But if they've kind of been like, oh, I think I might want to come to life, invite them. It'll be great. And so it's going to be a good time. But this weekend, I just want to talk about this. What are the signs of the time? Now, here's let me say this. If you don't agree with the Bible, you're probably not going to agree with most of what I'm going to say. And I know it sounds like a strange statement because we're at church, but I also understand, too, that, that we invite anybody and everybody that wants to come to church to come to church. And so I'm just going to tell you that I'm going to tell you what the Bible says, not what I think. There's one part I'm going to give you my opinion, and I will tell you, this is my opinion. This is the part where I'm going to tell you my opinion. 
all right? But everything, and I kind of get to do that, I guess, because I get to preach. But, but, but every, it's going to be, this is what the Bible says. And so you check it, that kind of a deal. If I make you mad, I'm not trying to. I love you, right? Go to Lowe's, get a ladder and get over it. Okay, whatever. But I mean, we're working through this. But this is going to be some stuff that, uh, it's kind, of, um, it's kind of on the frontal lobe of people right now because even today I was at, uh, at, at, uh, at, at, at Walgreens this morning and um, there was a, uh, two gals that were stalking the aisles and I was on the other aisle over and I could hear them talking about this hoe. Do you really think the end of the world is going to happen on December 21st, the Mayan calendar, blah, 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 blah. This is what's happening. This is kind of part of it. And, and here's the interesting thing. Every world, major world religion believes that there will be an end of time and an end of this world. They all just have a difference of, of opinion of how that's going to happen. Matter of fact, Time Magazine did a survey of Americans and found that 62% of Americans believe that the end of the world will come the way the Bible says that it will. In the same survey, only 40% of the 62% that said they believed that the world would end the way the Bible says that it did, claimed to be Christians, which is crazy to me. Because that means that 22% of those people that said, I really believe that the Bible is right and it's going to end that way, basically say, I'm going to go to hell. I didn't write that. I'm just telling you what, that's what they're deductively saying. And so it's interesting, too, that in, that in the Bible, the Bible has a ton to say about the end of the world. Matter of fact, uh, one out of every 30 verses in Scripture deals with the end of the world. Um, there are 216 chapters in the New Testament, and there are over 300 references to the end of the world. And 23 of the 27 New Testament books deals with some type of end of times theology. So I'm going to talk, and I'm going to answer some of these questions from a biblical perspective. So let's get started. Question number one, when will the world end? When will the world end? Does anybody know when the world will end? The Mayan calendar ends in December 21st. So will the world end on, on, on December 21st? Well, first of all, let me tell you this. If you believe the world will end on de in December 21st, see me after the service. I will bet you a billion bucks it won't happen. How can you be so certain? Oh, I can't believe the pastor's betting. Because if I'm right, you owe me a billion dollars. And if I'm wrong, then we're all gone, right? So there's no downside to that. Gotcha. No, it, 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 but, it, but you have people that are saying this. I remember in high school, as, as a Christian in high school, there was a book that was written, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come in 1988. It was a bestseller until 1989 when Jesus didn't come back. You always have people saying, I've looked at this, and I've investigated this, and this is, and this is when it's going to come back. So what does the Bible say? Here's what the Bible says. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. About that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Understand this. When this world comes to an end and Jesus comes back, the only person that knows that is God the Father. Not even the Son or the Holy Spirit. So here's what I can tell you with confidence. Anytime somebody says, I know when Jesus is coming back, I know when the end of the world is, you can bet your bottom dollar, it's not going to happen then. Because they don't know because Jesus himself doesn't know. The Holy Spirit doesn't know. The angels in heaven don't know. Only God the Father knows. And so as you're talking to people at your office, as you're talking to people that you know, if the question comes up, just say, you know what, I'm a Christ follower, and I'm not telling you that you have to believe this, but this is what I believe. Open up the Bible. Give them faith to follow. Go to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, verse 36, and say, here's what the Bible says. There's power in God's word. We lean so heavily on God's word that if it were to move, we would fall. 
The second question is, will the earth be destroyed? Will the earth be destroyed? I mean, we've seen like films like Armageddon. And I'm not hating on Bruce, Bruce Willis, like yippee ki yay. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, I'm not hating on any of that. The asteroid, he gives his life. And uh, our deep impact, or 2012, or the day after tomorrow, you know, you hear all this buzz about climate change. And again, I'm not, I mean, I think there's some scientific stuff behind some of this, but, but, but you need to understand this about climate change. Just let me give you a parenthetical thought. Book of Genesis, God destroys the earth by water. He floods it. He tells Noah, I will never destroy mankind or the earth by a flood again. Is climate change real? They say that it is. They say it's documented. Are we going to be destroyed by a flood? No. Why are you so certain? Because this is what God's word says in Genesis. So that doesn't mean we need to burn through the ozone layer, but it also doesn't mean we have to run around like Chicken Little and the sky is falling and we're all going to drown. And so let's get life preservers and figure out how we're going to live on some aquatic island that's going on. How, will the earth be destroyed? Well, the Bible says that it will be. The Bible says that it will be. And there's scriptures, there's all kinds of scriptures that the earth will pass away, that it will be burned up, uh, that God will shake and remove the heavens and the earth. Isaiah says that the earth will be shaken, broken up, and split apart. Psalm says that the earth will perish like a worn out garden, uh, a garment. Excuse me. Um, the, the minor prophet Zephaniah says that God will sweep everything away from the face of the earth. Nahum says that the hills will melt. Uh, and, and Romans says that, that, it, that it will com- come to a complete end. I'm going to give you two scriptures, though, that I think may help. We talk about this. One is Revelation chapter 21. So if you have your Bible, just turn to Revelation chapter 21. And, uh, and it talks about how that the earth will pass away. John the Revelator is writing this. And this is what he says. And now I saw a new heaven. This is verse 1. And a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away. And there was no more sea, and then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God will be uh, with them, and will be their God, and God will wipe every tear away from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things that passed away. So Revelation says that there will be a new heaven and there will be a new earth. Now if you flip back a couple of books to 2 Peter, just, it's just a few pages back to your left. If you go to 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, the Bible says this, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, i.e. fire. And both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And therefore, since all these things will be dissolved. And then he goes on to talk about holiness and purity in, in that in, in life of, of, of a Christ follower. The reality is, is when you ask the question, will the earth be destroyed? The Bible says that God will create a new heavens and a new earth. That he will destroy this, this earth. That this earth will come to an end. Now, again, I want you to understand, this week and next week, there's no way I can give complete exhaustive study to this subject matter. I'm trying to give you an overview, but the bottom line is, is yes, there'll be new heavens and new earth. And that this earth, and every indication that we get from Revelation uh, and, and, and throughout uh, uh, what we just read in Second Peter is that it will be, it'll be consumed by fire and it will be burned up and then there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. There's a plan and a process for that, but that that, that, that indeed will happen. Uh, third question is, will there be an extraterrestrial takeover? 
Zombies, robots, aliens. Let's talk about that just for a minute. This is real stuff. Uh, zombies, not, they're not real, but uh, you know, TV shows like The Walking Dead. If you're watching that, you're going to go to hell. I'm just going to tell you. You like that? Okay, good. I just, okay. Uh, uh, these films and, and, and video games like Resident Evil, I mean, they per- portray this whole uh, subculture of zombies. And I just pray for all of you that are watching uh, Walking Dead. I know who you are, you know who you are. Get your life right with God. I'm saying that for the benefit of a few people in this room. Okay, robots, Terminator. And again, I'm not hating on Will Smith and iRobot, the whole deal. All right, I'm not doing that. Star Wars, right? Star Trek, beam me up, potty, I got a Scotty. I'm not, I'm not hating on it. I'm, I'm just simply saying to you that this is, this is a lot that's happening. Aliens, I mean, we, we have these dozens of movies with aliens. Nowhere in Scripture is any of this found. Okay? So... My deep theologians go, I'm glad he came to that conclusion. Now, let me tell you my opinion about this. This is my opinion. This is just my thought. When I preach on the subject of of the end of times, Revelation, or any kind of Old Testament prophecy, people have a tendency to get really like, it almost feels like you're talking like sci-fi, like everything is fantasy. Like, yeah, great. This guy really believes this. It really is. I get emails from time to time. I get people that think this. Um... You'll have guys like Lawrence O'Donnell, who's a secular uh, um, commentator, who will tell you that the book of Revelation is nothing more than fictitious uh, fodder, um, and, uh, and on and on and on. Here's the reality. In 1950, if I were preaching on this subject in 1950, everything I would say about the book of Revelation, what I'm talking about this weekend or next weekend, would have felt very spiritual. And here's the reason why. Because we had no context, we had no movie, we had no IMAX, we had no ability to be able to see and hear and experience what we have now in the 21st century. I mean, how many times have you seen the earth blown up on big screen? How many times have you seen, like, New York completely destroyed and Chicago overgrown, you know, because there's no more power electricity or, or, or the entire West Coast completely fallen to the ocean. I mean, how many times have you seen Singapore destroyed or, or, or Bangkok? Or, I mean, how many times have you seen the Eiffel Tower flooded and toppled over? I mean, it just happens. I mean, it just, it's, we see this stuff. And what happens is, is that we live in a day and age where aliens and zombies and all of, and I'm not hating on this, except for Walking Dead, you want to get your life right with God. Um, I'm going somewhere with that. But anyhow, do you feel the conviction in the room? I feel Jesus. Okay, so my point is, is that in all of that, what happens is, is that it begins to make Revelation feel like sci-fi. It makes all this feel like real fantasy. Like it's almost imaginable. Like it's almost laughable. When you hear things like, and the trumpet of the Lord will sound and time will be no more. And the moment of a twinkling eye of an eye, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we who are alive and remain will be caught up in the air and forevermore shall we be with him. It's like it's some L. Ron Hubbard fictitious novel. The reality is it's God's word and it's truth and it's yes and amen. But the world in which we live in, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but it colors it in such a way that if you began to explain this to someone who wasn't raised in church or who may not believe the same things you believe, it can sound like fantasy. Does that mean that going to the movies is wrong? No. Does that mean like watching, you know, a a sci-fi movie is wrong? Absolutely not. Just The Walking Dead. Everything else is okay. But here's my point. Here's the reason why I think it goes there. One, I think it dilutes things down to the point that it makes us look foolish, like we're uneducated idiots as Christians. Secondly, 
I think, especially with the alien, paranormal, life form beyond us, what's on Mars, what's the Mars rover going to see? We know there's life beyond our planet. It's called the supernatural. There's a heaven to gain, right? We know there are angels. And, and, and Ephesians chapter 6 says that, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers of darkness. I mean, I'm, not right, I'm not making this stuff up, folks. This isn't like my ideology. This is what the Bible says. But here's the deal. How are they going to explain the rapture of the church? They being the people that are left behind. How will they explain millions of people vanishing from the face of this earth? How will, if the Bible is true and the dead, and the, and the dead will, who are in Christ will rise first? So exactly how that happens, I don't know. But, but, but the grave, the Bible said, will give up those bodies. How are they going to deal with that in Arlington National Cemetery? How are they going to deal with that in, in, in a local cemetery? How are they going to deal with thousands and tens and hundreds of thousands of people not showing up for work, not being at home? How are they going to deal with empty church houses? How are they going to deal with, have you thought about this? Teachers who are not Christ followers, who show up to teach their class and there are no children. Because... Because the Bible teaches an age of accountability that unless you really can fully understand right and wrong, good and evil, you're not responsible until you get to an age in which you're accountable for your sins. And so there's not a specific age, but it's more realization. So let's say it's, it, it's 10, 11, 12. So every elementary school basically in our city has no children. And there are no elementary age or younger children on the face of the planet. How are they going to explain that? Very plausibly, we know there are other life forms and they've come and they've taken the next generation. They've, they haven't taken us, they've taken the next generation. And they took select people randomly throughout the earth. And then they dug out the graves. I mean, doesn't that sound like some sci-fi, thriller, kind of hose coming to get, alien, Prometheus, whatever, something's happening. I'm just saying, I think a lot of this sets it up for it stages it to give a plausible explanation and it plays on our own subconscious of what, what we have. I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just saying that's what I think. So are there extraterrestrial takeovers? No. So you can go to bed at night. Don't have to worry about zombies. Unless you're watching The Walking Dead, then you need to get saved. Okay, the fourth is, according to Scripture, are we living in the end of times? Are we living in the end of times? And I would tell you that we've never been closer than now. And I'm going to show you this in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. Matthew, chapter 24. Starting in verse number 3, the Bible says, And Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Now, this is the first century. So people have been trying to figure this out for 21st, you know, 21 centuries, and, then, and even pre, pre this. Verse 4, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming that I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. Verse 6, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see to it that you are not alarmed, because such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, earthquakes in various places, and all these are the beginning of birth pains. Verse 9, and you'll be handed over to be persecuted and to be put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time, many will turn away from their faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. They'll become indifferent. But whoever stands firm to the end will be saved. Verse 14, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. 
So Jesus kind of gives us a blueprint, not so much dates, but a blueprint for how this will happen before he returns and tells us what to look for. So there are four things basically out of this passage that he says. The first is deception, verse 4 and 5. Beware of false prophets. Beware of deception. Beware. And remember, he's not talking to people outside the church. He's talking to Christ followers. He's talking to the disciples. This is a private conversation that's happening with the disciples on the Mount of Olives. And, and just let me give you some stats that may help you understand where we are today as a country. 53% of Americans think that you just have to be a good person to go to heaven. 43% of Christ followers in the U.S., Believe it doesn't matter what faith you follow because they all teach similar truths about life, which means all roads lead to God. And 57% of Christ followers, this is a Gallup poll, 57% of Christ followers said many religions lead to eternal life. That's Christians. And what I would tell you, and what I would say is, is probably the most indicative um, sign that, that we're living in an age of growing deception in the church is that we have been painted as intolerant bigots because we've said Jesus is the only way. And we as a church have been painted as narrow-minded people who are haters because we've espoused that there's one way to get to God and that's through Jesus Christ. We've been painted as some extremist group of people because we've said that There's no other name under heaven by which man can be saved except the name of Jesus. And so what happens is, is that we feel this pressure and we don't understand what God's word says and we feel this pressure to conform. And so what we do is we fold like a cheap suit. Instead of getting in our Bibles and knowing what we believe and leaning so heavily on God's word that if it were to move, we would fall, we just kind of rationalize things away. And what we do is we elevate experience over God's word. And so we go, well, I know a good Muslim, and there's no way they'd go to hell. And I know a good this, and there's no way that would happen. And I know a good person that's this. And how would God, a loving Heavenly Father, send them to hell? Well, he doesn't. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish have everlasting life. John 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. God doesn't send you to hell. Your sin sends you to hell. God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, so that you wouldn't have to go to hell. Well, I just think that's just, how can a loving heavenly father make there just be one way? Well, it's like this. If you're drinking poison in the form of bleach from under your kitchen sink, and I say, stop! If you drink that, you're going to get sick at the very least, but you will probably die. Would you actually look at me and go, how dare you tell me what I can and cannot drink? No, you'd probably say, thanks, man. And if you did it anyway, I'd go, go on with your bad self. Just see if I'm right, right? It's like being on a, being on a plane crash, and, and you grab a guy and go, look, here's the way to safety, here's the way out. Who are you to tell me what way's right? I'm going to go this way. I'm telling you, man, there's a flame there, there's gasoline there, the fuselage is going to blow, this is the way to get out. That's all the Bible is. And here's what's really funny to me about Christians that play soft when it comes to Jesus is every major world religion believes that their way is the right way and that you and I are wrong. So who died and made them God? Every Muslim believes unless you follow the Koran, you are an infidel and you will not go to heaven. 
The Catholics believe that the Protestants, they may get to go to purgatory, but they don't get to go to the same heaven they're going to. And the Protestants believe, well, we've got the corner gospel on the truth, and the Catholics, they may get a corner in glory, but who knows? We have all of this stuff. And, and, and Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, they think they're the only ones that are going. And so for you and I to say, no, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man goes to the Father but through the Son. Isn't it tolerant? It's just the truth. If it's the truth, it's the truth. This is what the Bible says. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and life, and no one goes to the Father except through me. So don't email me about mind tolerant, bigotory, limited mindset. Email God at godahotmail.com and tell him he's got it wrong. I didn't get it wrong. Acts 4, verse 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. So you can't be saved following Buddha. If that's true, or Joseph Smith, or Muhammad, who all died, and who were all mortal men. And what I'm saying to you is we live in a day and age where Christians don't even believe the Bible that they carry. We better know what we believe, folks. I'm telling you, you can disagree with me, that's completely fine. I, I'm, you know, it's a free country. But you better know what you believe. You better be able to prove it in chapter and verse. And you better be able to teach it to your children. Because when they go to secular university, which there's nothing wrong with, they will find an atheistic, agnostic stone wall that will destroy and dismantle their faith piece by piece unless they know what they believe and why they believe it. The second thing is, he says that the signs of the time is disaster. Verses 6 and 8, wars and rumors of wars, nations against nations, famines, earthquakes. Listen to this. Since World War II, which World War II was declared to be the war to end all wars, there have been 225 armed conflicts since 1945. Nation against nation, that phrase in the original Greek actually means ethnic group against ethnic group. Ethnic cleansing is something that is on rampant supply. And the Middle East is as volatile as it's ever been all based over ethnic wars. Famines, we don't think a whole lot about food because in America we have plenty of it. But there are 1 billion people in the world right now who are hungry. There are 41,000 people that will die today because of starvation alone. No other reason, starvation. And because the earth's population is growing at such a rate and we're taking over so much space on the planet that within 20 to 30 years, scientists tell us that food could be one of the most scarce commodities we have to deal with. Earthquakes. We've seen five times more than natural disasters today than we did 30 years ago. That's just scientific proof. In the past decades, earthquakes were the number one killer of humanity. The number one thing that killed people on the planet in the last decade were earthquakes. Eight out of ten of the biggest population centers on the earth are directly on an earthquake fault line. Again, I'm just telling you, Jesus said, when these things begin to happen, beware. Verses 9 through 13, he talks about denial. He said, the love of most will grow cold. They'll begin to deny, they'll begin to become indifferent. And it doesn't take long to look at that in the world in which we live in. Now, let me brag on you, Life Church, just for a minute. Two weekends ago, we gave you the opportunity to, to basically give, you, give one day's wage 
to hurting people, hungry people around the world. And you, with incredible generosity, gave over $55,000 in cash that weekend just to feed hungry people. And that's awesome. And, and, and what that says about you is that you haven't become indifferent and your heart hasn't grown cold. That, that you see people in need and that you love and that you give and that you do something about it. And that's important. That's really important. Because if we're not careful, the world in which we live in, we can become more and more and more isolated and more and more and more introverted. And the Bible says in the last days, we won't care about anybody else but ourselves. It will just be about us. Which is why it was so great to see on the news this week of one of New York's finest, one a New York police officer, saw a, a homeless man uh, sitting along a curb having no shoes on and went in with his own money and paid for boots for that man to put on his feet. When we lose that, we're done. It's important. It's very important. And Jesus says, watch out, because that will happen in the last days. It will grow cold. And the last thing verse 14 says is that there'll be this thing called dominance where the gospel will be preached in all the world. Maybe dominance isn't the best word, but you understand that it will be preached in all the world. And when the gospel of Jesus Christ has been preached in all the world, then the end shall come. That's why it's so important to do missions. That's why it's so important to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. On the face of the planet right now, there are 12,000 known people groups on the face of the planet. And of 12,000 known people groups... 10,000 of those have an adequate biblical witness, which means the gospel has been translated or communicated in their own language and or dialect. So there are only 2,000 people groups, language groups on the face of the planet that we have yet to reach. We're told that over the next 10 years, the estimates are that there will be 1 billion people that will come to faith in Christ. So even in the midst of everything that's going on, the church of Jesus Christ is growing in exponential numbers. Uh, Nearly 70,000 people come to Jesus Christ every single day in the world. So what, what does that mean, Aaron? That means this. Listen to this verse one more time. Verse 14. And the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel, the good news, will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Jesus said the last thing that's going to happen is that the gospel will be preached. And I think it's very possible, very likely, that in our generation we'll see those last 2,000 people groups be communicated in their own language and in their own dialect, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says when that happens, we're done. So what's the good news? Well, the good news is Jesus is coming back. The the even better news is that we can rest assured that he's got all this in his hands. Let me read you this verse. John 16, verse 33. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. For in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. So how will it all end? I'll tell you next week. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you today for your goodness and for your grace and for your mercy. God, I thank you, Lord, for your word that's so clear in our lives. And I just pray, oh, Lord, that you would help us as we, God, as we, Lord, as we open up your word, Lord, and and we we, we look at it, that it would be a lamp into our feet and a light into our paths, that we would take your word and we'd put it into our hearts, that we would live life, Lord, the way you designed and desired for us to do that. And I pray, God, if there be anybody here today that's far away from you, that through this talk today, 
They just say, you know what, I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ. I want to recommit. I want to rededicate. I want to surrender my life to Christ. Lord, that right where they are, Lord, your word says that you're here. That whoever calls in the name of the Lord, we read that verse earlier, Acts 4, 24. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. God, I just pray right now in that moment that they would just do that. If you're here today and you're far away from Jesus and you want to make Jesus your personal Lord and Savior and make your peace right with God, just right where you are. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to acknowledge me. Just right where you are to say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I believe in you. Father, I just pray for the people that have prayed that prayer just this moment today. God, that you would just flood their heart with peace that passes understanding and joy, God, that's unspeakable. And I pray, God, that you would just lead us and guide us, Lord, as we walk through this week and we walk into next week, Lord, as we look at how these things are going to unfold, not to be scared, not to be concerned, but to have confidence that we know who holds tomorrow. That's you, Jesus, and that you've overcome this world. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.